0: Welcome to the Dwell Church Sermon Archive. Dwell is a family defined by the love of God and committed to giving it away. Here is this week's message. Ooh, what a video. I, uh, that was my first time seeing that. Uh, great stuff for all you guys who contributed, but um, I'm just like, how am I supposed to top that stuff? It all felt very sincere and heartfelt and just um, genuine. So I guess good luck to myself. Um, but guys, welcome. Good morning. Um, welcome to another Sunday morning in our Proverbs series, Summerwise. Wise. Uh, so this is week two, and we're talking about biblical friendships. Um, so would you join me in praying? We're just going to ask God for help as we get started here. Father God, we just thank you for this time where we can gather. We thank you for this opportunity to get into your word, get into the Proverbs, and hear from you. Father, I pray that you would fill us with your spirit, Um, Lord, that we would hear from you, Lord, and that we would want to change for the good of those around us, Lord, and for your glory. pray these things in your name. Amen. Um, I actually forgot to do a proper introduction. So for those of you who don't know me, my name is Matt. And I like to party. <laughs> I thirtieth birthday party one time. This was probably a couple years ago. Um, and one of my good friends, he gets up to give a toast. And this was just like I loved this toast because it was just heartfelt. It was short and sweet. Um, it was kind of like Ted Lasso esque. Uh, so, um, so it was just like it was like it was great. I want to start off today with a toast. The same toast. So raise your glasses with me. (laughs) Thank you. I was like, I don't know if people are going to do this. Um, Here's the toast. Some chips are made of rubber. Some chips are made of wood. Some chips are made of potatoes. But the best chips are friendships here's my addition, okay? The even better best chips are biblical friendships, yeah? And that is what we get to hear about today, so get excited. So to start off, I want you to think about some of the best friends you've had or currently have, and I want you to truly think about some of the traits, qualities, or things about them that you appreciate. So I'm going to give you a few seconds before I say anything else. So maybe these friends are very intentional, so they're purposeful with their actions toward you, or maybe they make you laugh like no one else can, or they just get you on a level others don't. They make time for you no matter what. They make you a priority. Maybe they're just a good time, like they have fun always. They're always having a blast. They're inviting you in on this. So maybe some of these things I said struck a chord with you, or maybe you're thinking about some other good qualities I didn't mention. But we all have at least somewhat of an idea of what a good friend is, right? We all have something in our heads. And so today I'm not trying to tear down any ideas you have of what a good friend is, but rather we just want to look to the Proverbs, we want to look to Scripture, and through this, like hopefully we can seek to glean something from them on how to be a better friend. So as we start here, I want to encourage us with two things. I hope this is an encouragement. I'm not really sure about this first one. But anyways, two things I want to encourage you with. In theory, I think Christians should make the best friends. Okay, that's one. The second encouragement would be, as Christians, we as Christians should make the best friends because we have the motivation and the freedom we need to do so. So both motivation and freedom, these things are found in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection for us, okay? So with that, I want to introduce or at least reinforce the idea that biblical worship is Christ-centered. So that means it doesn't flow out of being you-centered. You are not the focal point. It doesn't flow out of being me-centered. I am not the most important. And it doesn't even flow out of being other-centered, Like, that's a good thing, focusing on others, but like, that's just not the center. It flows out of being Christ-centered. He is the focal point for us. He is who we look to through all of this. So since biblical friendship is Christ-centered, biblical friendship seeks the good of the other in the glory of God. So God is glorified when friendship is done well. And it's, a, it's less a series of things we need to accomplish and more about who we need to become. So God is working in us. He's sanctifying us to become more like Jesus and to become better friends, hopefully, who seek the good of others for the glory of God. So it's like we don't want to just do these things, check these things off a list, and then we check off like, okay, I am now a better friend, right? We actually want to become better friends, and so we don't just magically become something, right? Unfortunately, it's typically this like long process over time. It take, takes work. It takes some practicality. It sounds super fun, right? Long process, work, hard, practicality. But practicality, that should sound familiar to you. It should, especially if you were here last week, because this is where the Proverbs come into play. So last week we heard from Josh and he talked about how Proverbs is a practical book. So it's not a set of promises from God, but rather a set of rules to help us be better. And since we don't automatically change, we look to the Proverbs as we look to how we can practically start or continue on this journey of becoming a better friend. And so I'll be the first to admit I'm not always the best friend. Not even close to being perfect in this. And so a lot of what I'm talking about today, like, I have failed at miserably, probably even recently. And so I say that as an encouragement for us all, that if you hear things today and you're like, man, I just don't feel like I do these things well. And I just don't feel like, I, I don't even know if I can do these things. Here's the thing. God is kind. He's a good father to us. He's given us his spirit. He loves us and he wants what's best for us. And I truly believe, I think he wants to use you. I think he wants to use us to help show his love and kindness to others. So I think if we'll let him, he will work in and through us to become better friends. So as we look at the Proverbs for help, we want to view it through this lens of Jesus in the gospel, okay? So in John 15:13, Jesus says these words. He says, "Greater love has no one than this that someone lay down his life for his friends." Everything we hear from the proverbs today on the marks of a good friend are in turn how we can be a better friend. These things they find their fruition in our ultimate role model and savior Jesus. Because he he made the ultimate sacrifice for us on the cross. And he really is the ultimate friend in that sense. So just as Jesus sacrificed for us on the cross, we see in the Proverbs that biblical friendship is sacrificial. So look at Proverbs 17, 17 with me. It says, A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So loving someone takes sacrifice, right? Right? Like, this is apparent on just the most basic level. So if you're being a friend to someone, that means you are saying yes to them in some sort of way, which means that you are saying no to something else. So you're sacrificing something. And it doesn't matter what type of love you're talking about. I mean, they could be familial love, romantic love, brotherly love. All of these are sacrificial. So some of you might be asking, okay, well, what about puppy love? because I know there's probably some dog lovers out there. And so, do you sacrifice for your four-legged furry friend? Of course. Now, I have to say my dog world view is shaped by the fact that I grew up in the country with dogs who lived outside 95% of the time. And they also smelled like a skunk 50% of the time. So you have to take what I say here with a grain of salt. But from my perspective, one of the biggest sacrifices to me, that sticks out in my head, that, that dog owners make, is getting their dog a haircut. But that's sacrificial, right? Like You're taking time out of your day, and you're taking money out of your wallet to take your dog to get a haircut. But you sacrifice because you made a commitment to taking care of your dog. You might have made a commitment to your roommate, your spouse, that like, we're not going to have hair all over the place, we're not going to have hair all over our clothes. And so you do this, you sacrifice because you think it's worth it, right? When you sacrifice for something, you do it because it's worth it. So whether that's sacrificing for dogs, cats, work, sports, like whatever it might be, we can obviously see that we make sacrifices all day, every day. So how much more should we sacrifice for the friends that God has put into our lives? And I think this should cause us to think, like, hey, am I doing this? Am I sacrificing for my friends? And if not, how can I do it better? The Proverbs says, a friend loves at all times. And I, th- I think we should take this seriously. Although it is quite the daunting call, right, to hear from the Proverbs say, a friend loves at all times. I think this rule or instruction that a friend loves at all times is actually somewhat of the backbone of biblical friendship. Like everything else we talk about today regarding biblical friendship will be difficult to do well if we don't embrace this first principle that a friend loves at all times. Like it will be hard to be a good friend if we don't embrace the fact that we will have to sacrifice in order to do so. So if you want to be a better friend, Sacrifice will have to be involved. One of the sacrifices you have to make to be a good friend is to be constant in your friendships. So a good friend pursues constancy. We have a few Proverbs that we can reference here. Proverbs 20, verses 6 says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. Proverbs eighteen twenty four. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. Proverbs 17, 17, this one might be familiar to you. A friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. So all of these proverbs leave us with little wiggle room here. There's not much room for debate and not really a way to finagle your way around this truth that a biblical friend is constant. So does that mean, when things are at their best, are they there? Well, yeah, of course. So through thick and thin, what about that? Yes. How about when things get a little shaky, they're still there? What about things that, when they are at their absolute worst? I would say yes more than ever, that's when they need to be there. I mean, think about this. Think about all the times of life, and in those times, a friend is truly a sweet gift, right? Like, we love to celebrate with our friends. Birthdays, weddings, anniversaries, promotions, nuggets winning the finals, right? Knock on wood. Sorry, I don't want to jinx anything, but, like, we love celebrating good things with our friends, and it's sweet to have those people to do it with. But how much more when you are facing the worst of times, so when you're facing affliction and you're in this dark valley where it feels like there is no escaping, like how much more when you are stuck in a rut of sin and it feels like, man, this grip of sin will never be loosened from me. Like This is adversity to the max. And the Proverbs tells us that a brother is born for this. So that means there is a part of you, there is a part of me, That was designed for this. Designed to stand alongside, to walk together with our friends. Especially in their time of need. To be constant. And that's pretty radical in our day. And in our setting, in our city. Like, that's that's not usual here. But I mean, what better way to bear the image of God than to give of yourself in a constant manner Even draining yourself, if need be. In order to be there for a friend in their greatest time of need. In order to be a friend who sticks closer than a brother. I think this principle of constancy, if being followed through on, I think it will more than almost anything else, allow us to see God at work in another's life. And with that, I think it will help us delight in God's good work. But this makes sense, right? If you are constant, you are going to see change You're going to see things because you were there more than you wouldn't be if you weren't constant, right? I think one just quick tidbit of kind of an example of being a constant friend or just a practical takeaway. One of the markers of a constant friend is pursuing your friend even when they shrink away. So even when they're maybe not reciprocating like you think they should be or like you would like them to be, man, we still pursue our friends. That's how it should be. Moving on, another sacrifice you might have to make to be a better friend is embracing and receiving counsel. So a good friend embraces giving and receiving counsel. If you have read through all the Proverbs you almost might start feeling like, man, honestly, enough about counseling. Like, there are tons and tons of verses in the Proverbs about counseling. So I think it's safe to say, like, it's an important, like, theme, right? So I've picked out a few of the verses here. Uh, Proverbs 27, 9 through 10 reads, Oil and perfume make the heart glad, and the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen. 14 where there is no guidance a people falls, but in an abundance of counselors there is safety. Proverbs fifteen twenty two. Without counsel plans fail, but with many advisers they succeed. And in Proverbs twenty seven seventeen. As iron sharpens iron, so one person sharpens another. <clears throat> uh, you may have heard of this wise master of the arts that I'm about to quote. Her name is Brie Warner, and she has this to say about counsel. She says, we are very quick to give counsel and very slow to listen to it, right? We're very quick to give counsel and very slow to listen to it. So then practically, like, how do we combat this impulse? I think we come back to this posture of like, hey, I want to become better than my current self for the good of those around me and for the glory of God. Right? I want to be sanctified for this. And giving and receiving counsel as a friend is going to go a long way on this path to sanctification. But it's still hard because frankly, we, we don't want to be told what to do, right? It's not always, not always the funnest thing, especially if, if what we're being told that we're doing is hurtful to others, and is even sinful? Like it's just hard. And so if giving and receiving counsel sounds daunting to you, it may be helpful to frame it in this way. Counsel is simply living out the one another's of scripture together. So spurring one another on into greater Christ-likeness. So practically, practically this means if you are going to counsel a friend, You start from this basis of, okay, how can I help my friend live out the truths of Scripture so that they can be more like Jesus and they can be a better friend? So how can I help them love one another, honor one another, welcome one another? How can I help them show hospitality to one another? If you're going to give counsel, I think that is a good place to start from. So this also means starting from the same place if you are the friend to receive counsel. So again, saying, hey, how can I let my friend help me live out the truth of Scripture so that I can be more like Jesus and I can be a better friend? And kind of like what Bree said, like receiving counsel is more likely the harder of the two, right? So this takes some humility. This takes swallowing your pride. I think on a very practical level, this, if we're going to receive counsel really well, I think this takes embracing the truth of the gospel, remembering that we are messed up sinners who so often stray from what is good and right, so much so that the perfect God of the universe had to come and die for us. Like, that's how much help we need. And to be honest with you, if that truth doesn't humble us, and help us to be more open to receiving counsel. I don't know what will. Like that That might be a problem. Like knowing the need we have to be helped by Jesus our Savior. Practically should help us be more open and willing to receive counsel from friends. As with the other principles of biblical friendship we've discussed already. Uh, we continue with the same motivation for this one. So we are doing these things. I might we are becoming better friends who give and receive counsel well because we want what's best for the other. We want them to be more like Jesus. We want God to be glorified through this. R. Kent Hughes is a Christian author and he has this say on the matter. He says the deepest of friendships have in common this desire to make the other person royalty. They work for Rejoice in the other's elevation and achievements. There are no hooks in such friendships, no desire to manipulate or control, no jealousy or exclusiveness, simply a desire for the best for the other. So Hughes is telling us or reminding us, man, that there is to be no ulterior motive in our friendships. Friendships. The motive of true biblical friendship is the good of the other in the glory of God. We have to come back to that if we want to be good friends. So how else can we sacrifice to be a better friend? We can have candor. So a good friend isn't afraid to have candor. Um, I don't know if you guys are anything like me, but when I hear the word candor or see it, I usually think of uh, like the California condor, like the big uh, vulture-type bird, and that's definitely not the correct definition. So candor is defined as the quality of being open and honest in expression. So maybe a better way to put it for our context is speaking the truth in love. Now this is more of like an art than a science. There's no good formula to this. And with it, I think it's learned art, which means you probably won't be very good at it at first, especially if your natural bend is, is away from conflict, like a peacemaker. But even if you are more abrasive, it's still not an easy thing to do. But just like anything else, like the more at-bats you get, the better you're gonna be mentioning some of us have probably been hurt by people who have tried to do this, right? Have tried to show candor. And probably someone who didn't do it that well. So then because of that, we are less prone to want to do it to someone else, right? Because our experience is like, hey man, I've been hurt by this. I don't want to do that to someone else. That's horrible. And so if it's difficult and it has the potential to be hurtful, why do it? Well, let's look at Proverbs 27, 5 through 6. Better is an open rebuke than in love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend, profuse are the kisses of an enemy. So, essentially, if you're hiding from what needs to be said, are you really being a good friend? The Proverbs here says no. If you're taking the path of least resistance, are you truly doing what's best for your friend? Again, Proverbs says, nope. Let's say you're having some severe abdominal pain and you go into the hospital. They do some tests. They find out you have Right, so your appendix is inflamed and essentially has the potential to burst, right? Not good. So the doctor decides to do the least invasive thing and give you a little Tylenol and an ice pack for the pain. Like, this would kind of be the path of least resistance. It would be least invasive, and it would to speak and it would be just wrong. The wrong approach. So what this person really needs, if they have appendicitis, their appendix could burst at any second. Man, they need some morphine. They need some anesthesia. And they need to be cut into. A person who is sick like this they need this invasive procedure. They need this thing removed from them, this sickness, in order for them to get better, in order for them to be made well. And this proverb tells us that a good friends may have to do the same. Like they may have to cut us deep. Practice open rebuke. Tell us things we need to hear even if they're painful. And the second half of this Proverbs is also telling us if we are too afraid to say what needs to be said, you are actually enemy of your friend's soul. Like that's kind of crazy. That's a hard thing to hear whenever I feel like someone like myself, I I tend to take the path of least resistance. The Proverbs is saying if you do that, you are enemy of your friend's soul. I had to do some self-assessment and ask myself the question, okay, yeah, do I do this, or am I more prone to take the path of least resistance? It's a hard, but I think fair and worthwhile question to ask ourselves, and it's something I want to grow in, and hopefully, hopefully all of us want to grow in this. And I think this is just, if we can work on this, if we can try to do this, I think God is going to be glorified. As we grow and being sanctified in this specific principle of friendship. Like I said, this may be the, one of the more difficult things to do. But I think if implemented well and worked on and, and with tactfulness and gentleness and grace, right? Not trying to hurt someone on purpose, but doing it for their good and for the glory of God. I and mean, I think this has actually potential to pay some of the biggest dividends in just our overall growth in Christ-likeness. So we're going to wrap up today with just a few points of application. Just very, very practical stuff. I think a good place to start is to embrace your need for help, always. And with that, give your friends, give your good friends, a hunting license in your life. So this idea comes from Tim Keller, who basically says, like, we need to be sure our friends have hunting licenses to enter into the dark spaces and secret gardens of our life to call us to holiness. So that doesn't mean you're, like, trying to uh, just hurt your friends, but you are just giving them a license in your life to, to have candor, to speak the truth in love. So, give your good friends a hunting license in your life. A next practical step could also be: this might be the the most simple one, maybe the best, is to ask a good friend, say, "Hey, how can I be a better friend to you?" And if you're on the receiving end of this question, I want to encourage you: I mean, tell the truth. Have the guts to speak the truth. Because if you just sugarcoat it and don't have candor, that question is probably not worth much, right? So like if Matt Tharp came up to me today and asked me this question, hey man, how can I be a better friend to you? I would have to say, buddy, just don't leave me for the big city. (laughs) That's all you gotta do, man. So just ask your friends, how can I be a better friend to you? And here's our last application point. Be your brother's keeper. I think what I'm about to say may, may be true for most of us. But as a friend, I know I have this tendency sometimes to pull a Cain and Abel and think to myself, like, man, am I my brother's keeper? Like, is it really my job to do this? to get into the weeds of this guy's life. Like, man, that's that's just not really my problem, right? I feel like we have a tendency to do that. Am I really my brother's keeper? My answer is all caps, yes. Like, we are our brother's keepers. We are our sister's keepers. Embracing true biblical friendship, it calls us to do what's best for our friends. And so that means their problems are our problems. So be your brother's keeper. So today we only got to brush the surface of this subject, honestly. The tip of the iceberg of biblical friendship, if you will. So there's so, so, so much more to be unearthed on, on this subject. So I want to encourage you to just dive deeper into it if it feels like something you need to grow in. With that one practical and short book that is helpful, has been a helpful resource for me on biblical friendship, it's a book called. Uh, the Company We Keep. It's a book called The Company We Keep. It's by Jonathan Holmes. So that's just a practical resource if you want to you grow in biblical friendship. So I'm not huge on reinventing the wheel, especially when other people's wheels are already pretty good. So to sum up today, I have this quote on biblical friendship that I want to share, because I feel it reinforces of a lot of what we talked about today. So I hope this quote will encourage and challenge us even more, be better friends. So this is actually a quote from um, pastor, the pastor Jonathan Holmes, the guy who wrote uh, the company we keep that I just, I just referenced. So here it is. Biblical friendship exists when two or more people bound together by a common faith in Jesus Christ, pursue him and his kingdom with intentionality and vulnerability. Rather than serving as an end in itself, biblical friendship serves primarily to bring glory to Christ who brought us into friendship with the Father. It is indispensable to the work of the gospel on the earth and an essential element of what God created us for. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for this time today. We thank you for the opportunity to hear from you, to get into your word, to get into the Proverbs and see practically what it looks like to be a better friend, to help point others to Jesus, Lord, ultimately for their good, Father, and for your glory. So we just ask that these these words that we heard from you today. Um, Lord, that we wouldn't take them lightly. Lord, that they wouldn't fall on deaf ears. Father, we just pray that we would uh, seek to embrace these things. Lord, that we would seek to grow in areas uh, where we see weakness in our own lives. A good friend. And help us always, always, always to remember that and we do this because of what you have done for us. Lord, because of your great love that you have shown toward us through Jesus, Lord. So would we not forget that? We thank you for today, Lord, and pray these things in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope it brought you closer to Jesus and more in touch with the world around you. Being a Christian in today's culture can be hard. Fortunately, he gives us the gift of community through his church. So we would love to invite you to join us for one of our Sunday morning gatherings or for one of our weekly small groups. All the details you need can be found on our website, dwelldenver.org.